One, two, three. That was beautiful. Yay. All right. Okay. Should we just uh, hop right into an intro? Oh, hot. Oh, so boy. hot. Oh, boy. Here's our cold oh, no. open. Oh, no. Are you a good witch or a bad bitch? Bad bitch, bad bitch. I've been a rebel all my life. We will not remain hidden figures. We have names. Oh, if this naughty to rule your lips, take your shoulders, take your hips, and let a lady confess I want to be there. I didn't kid you, did I? Well, now you know. Welcome to your weekly dose of women. Welcome to Good Witches, Bad Bitches. Hi, I'm Deanna. I'm Hannah. And we are your co-hosts hosts co-hosts um Mm -hmm. through this journey of non-scholarly wonderful weird women that's right i think that about says it yep we're very feminist and very opinionated and um don't cite this as a scholarly source because it's not yeah and if you don't like it that is your cue to leave yeah (laughs) it's probably time to go (laughs) um with that said we uh, are talking about women during quarantine. It's, it's weird pretty time. weird, but yeah, but it's also wonderful. It's a wonderful time to be talking about ladies. I yeah. feel like learning we've about gotten new to, women. Yeah, it's a nice break yeah. from some of the weird shit that um, we're dealing with. Yeah, and um, yeah, and it's your turn this week. It's my turn this week. Quarantine so, uh, week seven. Ugh. God damn it. How are we still here? Here we are. But also, stay six feet away from everyone at all times. Wear a mask, wash your hands, and wear gloves when you go to the grocery store. Healthcare is not a political statement. That's right. Um, Good one. I like that. Scientific evidence, medical evidence is not politicized and... um, Or should not be politicized. Yeah. So wash your hands and stay away from people and stay the fuck inside. But yeah. Done and done. Uh, I don't really have an intro and I think I'm just going to dive right in. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So for me, this week is a massive callback to a pre-GWBB GWBB situation because when I was in second grade, I did a a presentation on this woman for school. Okay. So I... Whatever it is, I'm (laughs) super excited now. I delved uh, further into it and I told my mom that she should keep an ear out because she helped me with this presentation because I had to learn some sign language (laughs) for this presentation and she helped me with that. Because today I want to talk about Annie Sullivan, a.k.a. the Miracle Worker. Okay. This name is familiar to me. Yes. So my sources this week are um, AFB.org, which is the American Foundation for the Blind, uh, Perkins.org, which is the Perkins School for the Blind, and Wikipedia. All right. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna dive right in. Please do. Here we go. So Joanna Mansfield Sullivan was born on April 14th, 1866 in Feeding Hills, Massachusetts, and she was so called close to me. Anne or Annie from birth. Aw. Uh, she was the oldest child of Thomas and Alice Sullivan, 
who were poor, illiterate Irish immigrants who came to the U.S. during the Great Famine. Oof. Yep. So she was raised in extreme poverty. Um, like I said, she was the oldest child. She was the eldest of five, but only two of them reached adulthood, which was, oh, I think, sad. pretty par for the course for poor people at the time. Yeah. Uh, when she was very young, between five and seven, depending on what source you look at, she contracted a bacterial eye disease called trachoma, trachoma, which causes repeated painful infections, making the eyes oh. red and swollen. Over time, recurring irritation and scarring of the cornea can cause severe vision loss. Oh, God. So, Which is just the thing her poor parents need to have to yeah. deal with. So I wanted to look up trachoma specifically um, to figure out what it is. It's kind of on the, it's in your upper uh, inner eyelid. So it's like the part of your eyelid that touches your eye. And it's caused by certain subtypes of chlamydia trachomatis, which is a bacterium that can also cause the sexually transmitted infection chlamydia. Okay. Um, It spreads through contact with discharge from the eyes or nose of an infected person. Uh, Hands, clothing, towels, and insects can all be routes for transmission. So, like, flies can... Oh! Yeah. Um, Risk risk factors, of which Anne's home life seems to have had many, include poverty, people Uh, living in close contact, poor sanitary conditions and lack of hygiene, like unclean faces or hands, uh, being young. Apparently, it's most common in children ages four to six. Oh, shit. And being female, women's rate of contracting the disease can be two to six times higher than that of men. Rude. What? Yeah. Why? We don't don't know. Who knows? Um, You and I don't know. So not having a proper bathroom is also uh, a part of it. Because you don't clean your hands and then you touch. Anyway. Not that again. So she had that and it went untreated. So she lost a significant amount of her eyesight at a very young age. Um, when she was eight, her mom died from tuberculosis. And, oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, her family situation became extremely difficult after that. Um, at first, her two siblings that were living at the time, uh, Mary and Jimmy, they were sent to live with their aunt and uncle. And Anne, as the eldest, for whatever re- reason, remained at home with their father um, during this time, apparently Thomas Sullivan shared stories with Anne about Irish folklore and rallied against the injustice of Irish landlords and the British. Aww. Random fact. But Thomas um, struggled with severe alcoholism, which especially reared up after his oh. wife died. And um, ultimately, he abandoned his children for fear he couldn't raise them. Oh, fuck. Mm-hmm. So he was just like, I'm not going to raise you because I'm not sure I can raise you. Correct. which really sucks Um, so Anne who is now 10 years old um, and her younger brother Jimmy were sent to the rundown and overcrowded poorhouse also known as an almshouse at the time uh, in Tewksbury Massachusetts Massachusetts (laughs) which is today part of Tewksbury Hospital so apparently the building still exists Um, and their younger sister Mary remained with their aunt and it's assumed basically that Anne and Mary lost contact with one another over time because they weren't raised together. Oh, that's sad. It is sad. Um, but there's really not much more information about their relationship beyond that. 
Uh, conditions at the Tewksbury Almshouse were deplorable. Uh, it was chronically underfunded and overcrowded in disrepair. And it housed an average of 940 men, women, and children during the years that she was there. Oh, God. Mortality rate was very high. And within three to four months of their arrival, her brother Jimmy died from tuberculosis as well. Um, Yeah. And she took that really hard because they were pretty close. And she remained at Tewksbury after his death and endured two unsuccessful eye operations. Oh, fuck. Oh, no. Can, oh, yeah. God. Mm-hmm. What year was this again? Like 18... 18- this is the 1800s for sure. Late 1800s. Like Ooh. 1870s. Oh, God. Um, Early in her stay, though, at Tewksbury, she learned from a resident who was blind that there were schools for blind children. Um, oh. So she realized that her best hope was in getting an education to getting out of being poor and, and living like she was. So her ambition yeah. to go to one of those schools became the central focus of her life uh, at that time. So in February 1877, she was sent to the uh, Sœur de la Charité Hospital in Lowell, Massachusetts, Ooh. which is Sisters of Charity. That's what that means. Um, where she had another unsuccessful eye operation. Good God. Uh, she Stop w- touching this poor child's eyes, <laughs> I know, people. I know. Remaining there, she helped the nuns in the wards and went on t- uh, to run errands for the community until July when she was sent to the infirmary, where she had another unsuccessful operation and then was transferred back oh. to Tewksbury. And, oh, damn it. But instead of returning to the area for predominantly ill and insane patients at Tewksbury, she was housed with single mothers and unmarried pregnant women. Whoa. Due to reports of cruelty to inmates at Tewksbury, including sexual harassment, assault, and cannibalism, which, what the fuck? What the fuck? Uh-huh. They weren't feeding them. I guess. I, well enough or they, something. Who knows? Uh, the Massachusetts Board oh, of State God. Charities launched an investigation into the institution, and it was led oh, by Franklin Benjamin Sanborn, then chairman of the board, and Samuel Gridley Howe, founder of the Perkins School for the Blind in Boston. Ah, uh-oh. So she learned about the commission that was coming to investigate the conditions at Tewksbury, and on the day of their visit, she followed them around, waiting for an opportunity to be able to talk to them. And as the tour was concluding, she gathered up all her courage, approached a member of the team, and told them she wanted to go to school. And that moment oh. changed her life. On October 7th, 1880, Ann Sullivan entered the Perkins Institution. Perkins Institution. Oh, so <laughs> what a bright light in what in such a tragic, really, upbringing. really tragic beginnings to her life for sure. Um, and just all the indicators of of what would keep you down, she managed to fight out of. Oh, so um, her life experience made her very different from other students at Perkins. She was fourteen when she went to school there. Uh, for the first time, and she couldn't even read or write her name. Um, she was mostly blind anyway. So I was going to say, like, she couldn't see much. Yeah. Um, she never owned a nightgown or a hairbrush, and she didn't know how to thread a needle. Um, she'd never attended school, but she was already pretty wise to the ways of the world, obviously. Yeah. Um, she learned a great deal about life, politics, and tragedy while at the poorhouse, and um, that was a side of humanity unknown to even most of her teachers, let alone Oof. the fellow students. 
Um, most of the other girls at Perkins were sheltered daughters of wealthy merchants or prosperous farmers. Of course. Uh, her anger and shame fueled a determination to excel in her studies. She was a very bright young woman, and in a very short time, she closed the gaps in her academic skills. Um, after the first two years, her life at Perkins became a lot easier. Uh, she connected with a few teachers who understood how to reach and challenge her, including Mrs. Sophia Hopkins, who was the house mother of her cottage. Uh, she was especially warm and understanding. Um, and Anne became like a daughter to her, uh, spending time with her at Cape Cod. She had a, uh, the teacher had a house in Cape Cod Aww. and would invite her for vacation, Aww. school vacation. Um, she had yet another surgery on her eyes, but this time it was fucking successful. What? And it improved her vision dramatically. Okay, well that I'm I'm truly shocked by. At last, she could see well enough to read print. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. How many surgeries was that? Five, six? So many. Ugh. So many. Um, she befriended Laura Bridgman, who was another remarkable Perkins resident and student. Fifty years earlier, Bridgman had been the first person who was deafblind to learn language. Whoa. Um, so Anne Oof. learned the manual alphabet from her, frequently chatted and read newspaper to the much older woman. Uh, Bridgman could be very demanding, but Anne Sullivan seemed to have more patience with her than many of the other students. Shocker. Interesting. Uh, not much has been written God. about their friendship, but it's tempting to think they shared a special affinity because neither completely fit in with the larger Perkins community. Yeah. Um, so while she learned to excel academically at Perkins, she still wasn't able to quite conform. Uh, she frequently broke the rules there and had a quick temper and a sharp tongue, and it brought her close to expulsion more than once. Oh. Yeah. She might not have made it to graduation without the intercessions of those few teachers and staff who were close to her, apparently. Oh, shit. Okay. But, but in June 1886, not only did she graduate, she was valedictorian. She was an Aries, so I'm not surprised to hear any of that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I thought about awesome. how your birthdays are close. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, she, valedictorian, yeah, wow. She gave the valedictorian address and charged her Damn. classmates and herself with these words, quote, fellow graduates, duty bids us go forth into active life. Let us go cheerfully, hopefully, and earnestly, and set ourselves to find our special part when we have found it, willingly and faithfully perform it. Just what her special part would be was not yet clear to her um, because she graduated school, but she had no family to return to and oh, she had no qualifications so for employment, really. Oh, shit. Um, she feared she would have to return to Tewksbury and did not oh, like that option. God. So her joy of graduating from school, graduating as valedictorian, was tempered by fears about the future. But fate intervened in an unexpected way, right? The summer following her graduation, the director of Perkins, Michael Anagnos, was contacted by Captain Arthur Keller of Alabama, who was in search of a teacher for his seven-year-old blind and deaf daughter, Helen Keller. Oh, shit. Helen had gone deaf. That's and why I know her yep. name. Helen okay, okay. had gone deaf and blind from an illness at 19 months old. And since that time, the baby had grown into a wild and increasingly uncontrollable child. Obviously, because she was probably frustrated, she couldn't communicate. Yeah. Duh. 
Um, Helen's mother, Kate, had read about Laura Bridgman's education at Perkins in Charles Dickens' American Notes and began to hope that her own daughter could be reached. So they subsequently contacted Alexander Graham Bell, who apparently was an educator of the deaf, which I did not know. Oh, wow. Yeah, I did not know that. Yeah. And he, in turn, put them in touch with Perkins. Okay. So Anagnos immediately recommended Anne Sullivan for the position. And she was a bit intimidated by the challenge, but knew it was the kind of opportunity that she needed after graduation. And she spent the next few months studying the reports of Laura Bridgman's education and other teachers at Perkins. And in in March of 1887, she left for Tuscumbia, Alabama to begin a new chapter in her life. And I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Tuscumbia? (laughs) I don't know. Apparently, as soon as she arrived there, she argued with Helen's parents about the Civil War and over the (laughs) fact that they used to own slaves. Uh Uh-oh. Oh, dear. However, she also very quickly connected with Helen. And it was the beginning of a 49-year relationship. Sullivan, 49 49 years. Years. She evolved from her teacher to her governess to finally her companion and friend. She was her lifelong companion. Um, Oh, shit. Much has been written about the day Helen Keller and Ann Sullivan first met and of how the teacher finally helped her student break out of her dark and silent world. The methods Ann Sullivan used when she began teaching Helen were very much like those Dr. Howe employed with Laura Bridgman. They followed a strict schedule and new vocabulary words were introduced in a formal lesson. But it wasn't long before Anne realized that the rigid routine didn't suit her exuberant and spontaneous young pupil. Never one to be limited by rules, she abandoned the prescribed schedule and shifted the focus of her teaching to one that would suit Helen. Fuck yes. She decided to enter Helen's world to follow her interests and add language and vocabulary to those activities. She observed that Helen's infant cousin learned language by being spoken to, so she talked to Helen constantly by fingerspelling into her hand. Oh, oh. So she was seeing that babies responded to be talking, talked to, and the yeah. only way she could talk to her was by fingerspelling to her. Imagine. But that's so smart. Mm-hmm. Like, so, it seems obvious, but you, you wouldn't think of that. People didn't know what never... to do with with children who were deaf and blind. Like, what? Ugh. How do you break through to them if you don't know how to do sign language? You don't know. Yeah, all these and things. you're not making those observations. Yeah. Um, so obviously, Helen flourished under Anne's creative approach to teaching, and her thirst for information was unquenchable. And remarkably, within six months, she learned 575 words multiplication tables as high as five and the entire braille system (laughs) oh my god yeah so she was like i've been waiting for somebody to just come and like teach me some shit yeah yeah (laughs) and now you're here thank god like that's the thing is i feel like so many people before you learned how to communicate and teach to deafblind people they just assume they're dumb but that's because they don't learn how to communicate how are you supposed to know it's highly right. frustrating. But, yeah, you I can mean, be supremely intelligent and and people who are not willing to try will yeah. never know. Yeah. Um, and although Anne, she was a brilliant and intuitive teacher, clearly, who had moved well beyond earlier rigid, rigid prescri- prescriptive teaching methods. Holy shit. Um, <laughs> she continued to seek and receive support and advice from the Perkins School. 
So she never oh, wanted to like good. rest on her laurels and be like, well, this is working. So that's all I'm going to continue to do. She would continue to try and find new ways to teach. Well, um, I'm glad that she could still call on them. Yeah. For advice. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, homeschooling created a wonderful foundation for Helen's education, but uh, Anne felt impeded by the isolation and limited materials available in Tuscumbia, Alabama. Um, Oof, yeah. And she decided it would be best for Helen to bring her to Perkins so that she could learn oh. Oh, in a more smart. academic environment. Um, apparently, Perkins' role in the education of Helen Keller has always been steeped in controversy. Uh, even before she arrived on the Boston campus, she had been the central subject of Perkins' annual report. So the director of the school, oh. Anagnos, he drew from Anne's many letters and reports on her prodigy's progress and embellished them with florid prose. Oh, shit. Anne hated the exaggeration and worried it might create unrealistically high expectations of Helen that could harm her. Oh, fuck. So when they arrived on campus, the tensions only increased... Uh, the Perkins resources were wonderful, but Anne disliked her loss of independence as a teacher. Um, the pair's relationship with uh, director Anagnos and Perkins were alternately warm and strained for several years. Helen and Anne sometimes lived for long periods at the school and sometimes stayed in Alabama. So clearly, mm. but they were like a, a duo constantly they were deciding what they were going to do. Ugh. <laughs> In 1891, wow. Helen was accused of plagiarizing a story she wrote for Anagno's birthday, leading to investigative interviews that deeply wounded the student and teacher. And the strained relationship yeah. with Perkins was finally severed when Helen wrote an autobiographical magazine for a youth's companion. Um, oh, she wrote an article for them, and it pointedly failed to even mention Perkins as an institution. Ha 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 So they were ha, like, ha, bye. Ha. Bye. Um, so Annie Sullivan remained a close companion to Keller and continued to assist her education, which ultimately included a degree from Radcliffe College. Wow. Uh, and in 1904, Anne and Helen bought a farm and seven acres of land in Rentham, Massachusetts. In, oh. in Helen's 1955 biography of Anne, she wrote these were probably some of the happiest days of their lives, in part because their household now included John Albert Macy. Ooh. He was a young Harvard teacher and literary critic. Um, he met Anne and Helen when they were at Radcliffe. And in 1902, he helped the women in editing the serialized version of Helen's biography. During the next decade, he became Anne's suitor and husband, as well as Helen's manager and editor. Well, well, well. So it's an interesting sort of like, sort of thruple. Like, like he, he pursued yeah. Anne, but he had to live with both of them. They were a, yeah. a pair. Um, That's so funny. It's interesting, right? Um, wow. He carefully negotiated the terms of domestic and foreign publications of Helen's works. He also learned manual sign language, of course, because without that skill, he couldn't have communicated with Helen to correct drafts of her texts. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. And, and it's good that he did, because previously that was a job that had fallen on Anne's shoulders alone. Like, she right. was the only one who was doing that. Um. So in 1905, Anne married John. When she married, she was already living with Helen, obviously, as her teacher. So he moved into a household with both of them. Um, Crazy. But apparently within a few years, the marriage kind of disintegrated. I don't know. 
1914, they separated, although he is listed as living as a lodger with them in the 1920 census. So strange. Yeah. I. It just makes me wonder, like, all the unspoken things between, you know, her and Helen. Not that, not that I want to speculate that they were ever anything other than, like, good friends and teachers, uh, you know, teacher-student. But and they were lifelong whatever. companions. But they were lifelong companions. And their relationship and was very close. Yeah, and that's got to be hard. That's very on... intimate, regardless of if it's free right. of any romantic entanglement, which it may well yeah. have been. It probably was. Who knows? Who knows? Um, but he would have had a really difficult time with that, I have to assume. Yeah. Um, yeah, and apparently after years progressed of, after their separation, he appears to have faded from her life, but the two never officially divorced and Anne never remarried crazy yeah um on april 9th 1917 helen wrote Anne, who had gone to puerto rico that the united states declared war on germany three days earlier so Anne immediately returned to the united states and the two felt a need for a fresh start in a house that didn't remind them of the breakup of Anne's marriage and earlier happy years so their house was sold and the two women bought a home in forest hills new york which i believe is queens basically yes that's queens yeah Wow. What? Mm-hmm. Um, I never knew Helen Keller's life was so entwined mm-hmm. with someone else's. Yeah, I was thinking about that, how we've done a couple episodes now where we start off talking about one woman, but her life kind of becomes so entangled with another woman that we're talking about another amazing woman. But yeah. I figure most people know about Helen Keller at the very least, and I, I find mm-hmm. Anne much more interesting because she was the person who helped Helen become the woman she became. Um, So anyway, uh, she spent much of the subsequent time accompanying Helen as she delivered anti-war speeches and visited blinded servicemen. So, yeah, on one occasion, the three women visited Evergreen, the Red Cross Institute for Blinded Soldiers in Baltimore, Maryland. Um, In a, a biography of Anne, it describes her as seething with fury as a result of this uh, visit. She declared all their work was useless in the face of the chauvinism that brings about war and will continue to leave Mm -hmm. men and women blind and maimed as a result. Whoa. Which I find fascinating. That very like pro pro um, peace, anti-war sentiment. Um, When faced with the, the effects of extreme violence, like, yeah. I don't know. Which I what wonder if is you... reflective of her, her childhood. I don't know. Yeah, for sure. It has to be, in at least in some part. Yeah. Um, in October 1930, Temple University in Philadelphia, they wanted to honor both Anne and Helen, both with honorary degrees. But <laughs> I find this story so funny. Anne's stubborn nature initially led her to refuse the honor. Okay. Unlike Helen, who graciously accepted the award, (laughs) uh, Anne would not be budged, and the school said they would forcibly confer the honor upon her, and she said she wouldn't attend the ceremony. (laughs) What a weird... Yeah. The more strenuously she insisted (laughs) on being omitted from the event, the more attention she drew. Um, Whoops. (laughs) So at the ceremony in 1931, President Charles E. Bury introduced the man who was presenting the award... Uh, to Helen, and his speech transitioned from praise for Helen to an impromptu address about Anne. 
the rallying uh-huh. cry was picked up by Governor Pinchot of Pennsylvania, Pinchot, Pinchot, who was attending as a recipient of an honorary degree. And the governor demanded the audience vote with their feet to give Anne an honorary degree. And everyone in the <laughs> audience rose except for one woman, Anne, who had secretly <laughs> entered the auditorium from a side entrance without Helen's knowledge. She was like, fuck oh you guys. I don't know why. I have no idea why she was. She probably... I don't know, it was maybe some sort of, like, humility of, like, I didn't do that much. I don't care. Helen's the amazing one. I don't know. I mean, my guess is, like, it's it's about earning it. For somebody who worked so fucking hard to earn what she ultimately did have, I'm guessing, like, something like an honorary degree probably felt, you know, maybe not right for her. Oh, who knows? But also she's an Aries, so, you know. She's very stubborn. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, In 1932, both Helen and Anne were each awarded honorary fellowships from the Educational Institute of Scotland and were, uh, um, they were awarded other honorary degrees. So. Clearly, yeah. yeah. Um, They were everywhere. Yeah. Falling from the sky, practically. Exactly. Um, But so Anne Sullivan obviously had been visually impaired for almost all of her life. But the the surgery made it better, but it was still degenerative over time. And by 1935, oh. she was completely blind in both eyes. Oh, fuck. Um, and on October 15th, 1936, she had a coronary thrombosis, uh, fell into a coma and died five days later. Oh, no. Um, oh. So that she died on October 20th at age 70 in Forest Hills with Helen Keller holding her hand. Oh, okay. Oh, that's... Wow. Uh, (laughs) Helen described Anne's last month as being very agitated, but during her last week, she was said to have returned to her normal, generous self. Anne was cremated and her ashes interred in a memorial at the National Cathedral in Washington, D.C., and was the first woman to be recognized for her achievements in this way. Wow. Wow. (laughs) In 1956, uh, the director's cottage at the Perkins School was renamed to the Keller Sullivan Cottage. And when Helen Keller died in 1968, her ashes were placed next to those of Anne Sullivan. Lifelong companions Mm -hmm. through and through. Wow. She was a woman whose brilliance, passion and tenacity enabled her to overcome a traumatic past. She became a model for others disadvantaged by their physical bodies, as well as by gender or class. She was a pioneer in the field of education. Her work with Helen Keller became the blueprint for education of children who were blind, deafblind, or visually impaired, and it still continues today. Mm. Um, Mark Twain dubbed her a miracle worker, and there's been a play in a movie entitled The Miracle Worker about her. But her personal story, in her point of view, still remains relatively unknown because although some of her letters still exist, it's primarily through the eyes of others that we know her. Apparently, sometime after she married John Macy, she burned her private journals for fear of what her husband might think of her life if he should read them. Wow. I don't know why. Um, Similarly, she didn't want her correspondence to be kept after her death. I mean, for historical purposes, some materials were retained. Um, the American Foundation for the Blind's Heller, Helen Keller Archive contains some of her letters, prose and verse. 
Other materials about her are located at the Perkins School for the Blind, which still exists in Waterton, Massachusetts. Oh, wow. And the American Antiquarian Society in Worcester, Massachusetts. In 2003, Anne Sullivan Macy was inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame, and the American Foundation for the Blind was privileged enough to receive a medal in her honor. Oh. Gosh. And... What a fascinating woman. So fascinating. I I had no idea. And I mean, when you were a kid, what was it? What was the project that you were? Was it just a report? I don't exactly know what it was supposed to be. My mom might know better than me. But it was yeah. it was basically just like a, pro, a you do a presentation about a person from history. I don't know. And I chose Crazy. to do Anne Sullivan. And I didn't know half of this information, obviously. But I knew that she was yeah. Helen Keller's teacher. I, yeah, the thing that is so interesting to me is I just had no idea that she became so entwined in Helen's life and that they were lifelong friends. Permanently. And she met Helen I mean, when Helen was seven years old and was with her until she died. And then Helen's ashes, when she died... You know, thirty years later, we're interred with her. We're interred with hers, which is so. I mean, the meaning of that is so special. It is absolutely beyond just like we were. You know, we were good friends. No, they like, were. They were life partners, basically. Whether yeah. or not it was romantic, they were life partners. Right, and in large part because Anne saw something in Helen that nobody else could see, and. Probably probably because of her friend at Perkins, but also just because of her own life, her own struggles, and how people clearly underestimated her mm-hmm. for being her poor, entire childhood. For being uneducated, for being disabled, yeah. for being a woman. It's so remarkable. I mean, that she saw she saw that in Helen and went, I'm gonna try and figure that out and I'm gonna foster that. And well, then, and how part of it was, I have no other option. Right. <laughs> and part of it was, yeah. but still she did her damnedest to be the best at teaching her. And yeah. was, clearly, because Helen never wanted to leave her. Yeah. Ever. Oh, what a what a beautiful story. <laughs> She's just so fascinating to me. And I didn't even realize, because I, I didn't even know that she was blind. Mm-mm. When I did this when I was seven years old in elementary school, I thought she was just a woman who came who was a teacher. No, she was fucking blind. And sign she language had... is for deaf people. And she learned, yeah. si- like, she learned sign language to, because of Laura Bridgman, who was deaf blind. Yeah. Uh, just, yeah, it's, remarkable. It's wild. Yeah. She was so smart and so tenacious and so stubborn and feisty. <laughs> Which I appreciate and, so much. And anti-war, which is cool. Yeah, a nice a nice tidbit that we get through someone else's eyes. Yeah. I don't know. I just really respect the fuck out of her. Dude. And I love that, she's that awesome. to this day, the director's cottage at Perkins School is the, the Keller Sullivan Cottage. Ugh. At least they knew who they had. Yeah. Anyway, Dude, I'm gonna cry. Thank if I keep you. Talking more about it. 
Well, she was a fantastic choice, and I appreciate you telling me about her. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you. Do you want some on this day? Yes, please. I have a few. Um, it's April 29th, the day this mm-hmm. episode drops. And so April 29th, 1429, Joan of Arc arrives to relieve the siege of Orléans. Uh-oh. Which is all right. interesting. Um, 1916, after six days of fighting, Irish rebel leaders surrender to British forces in Dublin, bringing the Easter Rising to an end. Oh, wow. Speaking of Irish-British tension, that's a little yeah. after when Anne Sullivan's parents were there, but still. But related. Yeah. yeah. Uh, 1945, I, there's always World War II shit, but uh, on April 29th, uh, the German army in Italy surrenders to the Allies and Dachau concentration camp is liberated by the U.S. Ha-ha. troops. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah. Um, in 1953, the first experimental U.S. 3D television broadcast showed an episode of Space Patrol on an L.A. ABC affiliate. 3D TV in 1953. Well, well, well. Isn't that crazy? Okay. Yeah, that's wild. April 29th, 1967, after refusing induction into the U.S. Army the previous day, Muhammad Ali is stripped of his boxing <laughs> title. Oh, fuck. Mm-hmm. 1968 is uh, the opening of Hair at the Biltmore Theater on Broadway, <laughs> which is it's obviously a hippie counterculture uh, musical about the sexual revolution of the 1960s, if people are unfamiliar. And its yep. songs became anthems of the anti-Vietnam War movement. Hey, hey. Uh, April 29th, 1992, um, the riots in Los Angeles following the acquittal of police officers charged with excessive force in the beating of Rodney King began. Oh, man. Over the next three days, 63 people are killed and hundreds of buildings are destroyed. Shit. Sounds like a crazy time. But I wanted to end on a positive, silly note. April 29th, 2011, wedding of Prince William and Catherine Middleton takes place (laughs) at Westminster Abbey in London, (laughs) which I woke up at like two in the morning to watch on TV. Yes. Yes. I sure did. You're a nut. I'm a nut. Understand. Are you a good witch or a bad bitch? Let us know by becoming a patron on on our our Patreon. Patreon. (laughs) Oh, no. Patreon is a service that helps content creators like ourselves keep the ship going and make sure that we're able to cover all the costs that uh, come along with doing our podcast. And the more patrons we get, hopefully the more content we can start creating exclusively for patrons. Yes. So if you are interested in something like that, please become a patron so that we can start creating that content for you. Also, when you become a patron, you will get a shout out on our podcast and we will thank you personally on air. How exciting is that? Very exciting. Yeah, yeah. You can find us at patreon.com slash podcast. Tell me what you're excited about. Well, it's um, about a week late, but that's okay. Um, my client's middle grade came out last Tuesday. Ooh. Um, it's For those called of us Arrival. not familiar, what's a middle grade? Oh, right, right. Middle grade is um, a children's fiction targeted at like, like ages 9 to 12-ish. Okay. 
And um, it's a fantasy about two friends. Well, it's a fantasy about two girls who are not friends, who have to become friends, basically, in order to um, overcome obstacles towards uh, bigger happenings in their kingdom. And they have to save their magic teacher who has been imprisoned and restore the crown to the rightful owner and it's just very fun and very adventurous and it has lots of fantastic magic and um it's so good so the writer is diva fagan d-e-v-a-f-a-g-a-n and the book is rival magic so if you are one of those who ha- who are your home with your kids and they need things to read uh this book is awesome it's so good so that one is available now um bookshop.org if you have not heard of it is an is a new website as of like literally the beginning of the pandemic that helps indie bookstores make sales so it's available through that it's as easy as shopping on amazon but it helps your local stores wow so it's really fantastic. They get a kickback um, every time you order through them, you know, order through your bookstore on bookshop.org. Damn, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, super great. And so, yeah, I would suggest getting Diva's book through that. And that's what I'm excited about because it's Yay. been a long time coming. We've worked really hard on it. And it's a book I fell in love with like two years ago now that I'm just excited to see on the shelf. So, well, oh, wait. you know, the proverbial shelf. Can I toss in a little, not little, but a, a, a quick what I'm excited about? Yes, of course. <laughs> so um, since all of my immediate family is now aware, we can announce now on the podcast that Alex and I got engaged, oh, which is something yay. that's not news to you. <laughs> But I, we get to tell everybody now. Now we can talk about it. And Yay. so, yeah, Alex and I oh. are going to get married sometime in the future. <laughs> Yay. Congratulations, Deanna and Alex. Whee. Oh, I love you guys. Thanks. I'm happy about it, too. Yay. Okay. I That's that's also the thing I'm excited about. <laughs> that now you can talk about it. Now that I can talk about so it. There have been so many weeks on the podcast. You're like, can I say it? <laughs> Like, no, no, Hannah. I know. And then we have to cut it out because I'm blundering into it. <laughs> oh, yay. But oh, it can, that's a it can become social media official at any point. And we haven't made a post on social media yet. But why not start with the podcast? See who of the people who listen to this are excited, who are also my friends. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> who may oh, not yeah. know. We've told a lot of our friends, but... Oh, shit. Well, if you guys are surprised, email Deanna or text Deanna and tell her that you're mad about it. Yep. Just kidding. Don't say that. Say congratulations. (laughs) Oh, well, shit. That's a great note to end on. Yeah. Uh, Congratulations, Deanna. Thanks. I love you. I love you, too. And for those of you who continue to listen to our podcast week after week, you probably already know you can find us on social media. Uh, we are at GWBB Podcast on pretty much everything. Um, you can email us, GWBB Podcast at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. 
Yep. Um, you can find us on Patreon, GWBB Podcast, and same with Ko-Fi. And, yep. um, and also, if you are one of our listeners who listens week after week, we love you, too. We love you, too. You guys are the best. And the messages you send us are the best. The reviews that you leave us are the best. And um, we appreciate you. We have the coolest listeners. Just yeah, not, not that we're biased, but we do. Eh, we're allowed to be a little biased, I think. <laughs> yeah. You guys are, and, uh, are the ultimate good witches, bad bitches. You guys are the ultimate. So here's to you. And peace out, witches. Cheers. Clink. <laughs> Clink. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Good Witches, Bad Bitches. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Good Witches, Bad Bitches is hosted by Deanna Greif. Me. You. And you. <laughs> Hannah Ferguson. And we're produced by Benjamin Garst. Um, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. Google Play. Google Play. Pretty much more. anywhere you listen to your podcasts, you can find us there. We're also on social media. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, GWBB Podcast. You can also email us at gwbbpodcast at gmail.com. We love to receive emails. If you have a story about a woman in your life that you want to hear on air, uh, shoot it over to us. We would love to read it. If you want to help keep us running, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash gwbbpodcast. <laughs> Become a patron and help us you know, pay for our hosting. Yeah, Patreon really helps content creators be able to continue to create their content. And it just kind of helps us break even on the costs of producing this podcast. And it would be really awesome if you wanted to help out. If you like it, you can be a part of it. Also, to help us out, you can rate, review, and subscribe. All of, the, all of those things are extremely helpful for us. They help other listeners find us. Yeah. Word of mouth, also good. Yeah. <laughs> our website is gwbbpodcast.com. You can find all of our episodes there as well as some other things bubbling out of our witchy cauldron. Good Witches, Bad Bitches is powered by Moon Bounce. Moon Bounce.